Welcome to This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for 23 years. By day, I'm a process analyst in the power industry, and by night, I'm an author, blogger, and virtual assistant. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had type 1 for 7 years. I love hiking and painting, and I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 25 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're going over how type 1 diabetes shows up in pop culture in the media. We wanted to talk about this because sometimes the only exposure someone has to diabetes comes from what they see in movies or on TV. And unfortunately, a lot of those depictions are inaccurate and misleading. A quick reminder for everybody, if you have any questions about type 1 diabetes or the show, please leave us a comment or email us at colleen at inspiredforward.com. Jesse, you have our win of the week. Yes, I do. And just a disclaimer for this episode. I'm kind of fighting off a cold, so I won't be talking as much as I usually do, and I'm going to sound very stuffed up, but it's fine. Anyways, for my win of the week, I actually woke up in the middle of the night one night with a low blood sugar, tested and ate, and then waited 15 minutes later, tested again, and then I went back to sleep because I was perfectly fine. Now, for me, when this happens in the middle of the night, I get really panicky because I'm not awake and I don't really know what's going on, but this time I really stayed calm and collected, and I did my best, and it worked out really well. Awesome. All right, Colleen, unfortunately, you're up with the fail this week, so let's kind of talk about your miscellaneous adventures. Yeah, so I went on a weekend ski trip with four other girls, one of them from work. And my sensor actually failed, not only on day nine out of 10, but also while it was on the slopes. It had actually been cutting out, cutting in and out for a couple days. And on that Saturday, it cut out for a solid three hours before giving me the sensor failed alarm. I immediately called Dexcom. They passed me on to Tandem because I wear a T-Slim and they sent me a replacement. So that was nice. But it's, it's just kind of a fail for that sensor cutting out at the worst possible time. And my blood sugar went up to over 250 from a combination of things. And I actually spent most of my day in the lodge. And my legs were very thankful for that. But it still would have been nice to get more than three runs in. And I'm pretty sure my sensor failing had something to do with that. I also have the hack this week. And it's pretty simple. But to help bring high blood sugars down without going overboard on the insulin, drink some water. You'll be thirsty anyway, but drinking water helps kind of lower the acidity in the blood. I also like taking long walks, or not really long walks, you know, long walks on the beach. I like taking walks when my number is high and I have a little bit of insulin on board because that helps kick the insulin into gear. And I'm pretty sure we've talked about this before, but it's always worth mentioning. All right, so let's get into the episode. There are quite a few celebrities out there with type 1 diabetes, and probably the most well-known one among the younger generation is Nick Jonas. But whenever I think about type 1 diabetic celebrities, I think of Victor Garber, who played Professor Callahan in Legally Blonde, and he also played Jack Bristow in the TV show Alias, which was a really f- one of my favorites when I was growing up. He's a really fantastic actor, and I always enjoy watching him like on the screen. 
diabetes.co.uk shared some background information on Victor Garber, including that he follows a low-carb diet, which I find awesome. So Victor Garber has commented on times when he was, he says, struck with hypoglycemia when he was filming Alias. And apparently Jennifer Garner looked after him and the TV crew always had a glass of orange juice to hand them if he was low. And he also keeps glucose tablets in his costumes when he's working, which is pretty cool. And he has a supply in his car, like we all should. And he also eats frequent snacks as part of his daily routine. Other celebrities with type 1 diabetes include Chicago Bears quarterback Jay Cutler, Poison lead singer Brett Michaels, novelist Anne Rice, actress Mary Tyler Moore, NASCAR driver Ryan Reed, Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor, former British Prime Minister Theresa May, and Olympic swimming gold medalist Gary Hall Jr. I love the diversity of these professions because it really tells us that diabetes does not have to hold us back. From athletics to politics, we can do basically anything we set our minds to. I've heard from a lot of people that Halle Berry is a type 1, but in reality, she's type 2. She was misdiagnosed as type 1 when she was 22 years old, and she no longer takes insulin. She's actually a pretty bad face for diabetes awareness because she said that she, quote, weaned herself off insulin, end quote, and is now in the type 2 category, as if a type 1 diabetic could ever wean themselves off insulin. She kind of made a big blunder in saying it like this instead of coming out and saying she was misdiagnosed and was actually type 2 the whole time. The only part about Halle Berry that I like in this respect is that she's been promoting the keto or low-carb diet as a key part of managing and reversing her type 2 diabetes. She just needs to be a little bit more careful about how she says things so she doesn't confuse people even more. So we're going to talk about movies. This almost goes without saying, but diabetes is considered an invisible illness or invisible disease, which means you can't tell someone has it just by looking at them. There are no outward physical indications that the pancreas doesn't work. And it's unfair and inaccurate to label overweight or obese people as carte blanche diabetic, either type 1 or type 2. Because of this, it makes it really hard to accurately portray a diabetic on the big screen because it would, one, take a lot of explanation that cuts into the plot time, and two, it's almost always used as a plot point, a character flaw, or a driver of bad decisions. I think filmmakers use artistic license and suspension of disbelief as excuses for inaccurate portrayals of type 1 diabetes and even type 2 diabetes in some cases. Also, you might have realized, but most diabetics who actually wear insulin pumps make them so they're visible. But when noticing them on big screens or the silver screen, you can't tell that they're actually wearing an insulin pump which has always been a disbeliever for me because you should be proud of your diabetes and why not show it off even in the film setting? That's funny because I, mine is not visible. <laughs> it's in my bra, so you can't see it. So the first movie we're going to talk about is Steel Magnolias. When you think about type 1 diabetes in pop culture and the media, usually the first movie that people bring up is Steel Magnolias. Now, I've never seen it, but I've heard from plenty of diabetic friends and Jesse that it doesn't portray it accurately. So in a famous scene, the character Shelby, who's played by Julia Roberts, has a really severe low, and her mother attempts to get her to drink orange juice to bring the blood sugar up. And at one point, her mother, who's played by Sally Fields, says, quote, she's just got a little too much insulin, that's all. We just need to get a little more in her. She'll be all right, end quote. And I think people take this out of context if they haven't seen the movie or the clip, because she's actually talking about that they needed to get more orange juice in her, not more insulin. So they didn't have the good fast-acting insulins back then that we have now. 
as a point of reference, Humalog was released in 1995. So the character was likely taking regular insulin, which probably came on really fast when it activated. A plot point in the movie is that Shelby, the diabetic, was told that she couldn't have kids because of her diabetes. So City University, New York, Queens College released a paper called The Cinema of Control on Diabetic Excess and Illness in Film. And this is an excerpt talking about steel magnolias. Many viewers find this particular presentation hurtful, not only because diabetes is presented as monstrous and debilitating, but also because it does not realistically portray good medical practice, which allows nearly all diabetic women today to deliver healthy babies, end quote. Of the nearly 40 films that the study discussed, only three of them showed blood glucose meters on the screen. So that's a little bit sad and terrifying. Mostly you see people with syringes and vials of insulin in movies. You don't really see insulin pumps or CGMs. What we tend to ignore is that Steel Magnolias was released in 1989, and at the time, diabetes was a lot more unpredictable because they didn't have the same advancements in technology that we have now, though they could have at least showed a meter since those became available in the 1970s. On one side of the coin and for the time period, Steel Magnolias kind of did an okay job portraying a brittle type 1 diabetic, meaning a diabetic with poor control. Shelby also had diabetic kidney disease, which is a long-term consequence of too many high blood sugars. So in context, it's more believable that having children would have been a bad idea for this particular movie diabetic. And that all being said, another problem I have with this movie, even though I still haven't seen it, is that Shelby apologized for her hypoglycemic episode. She felt shame about her diabetes. And at one point, her mother tells her that there are things she can't do because of the diabetes. This is just one of the major problems diabetics have with steel magnolias. It implies we're restricted by the reality of living with this disease, and I just think that's patently false. So here's my thoughts on the movie Steel Magnolias. The main issue that I have is that people often associate those comatose states of diabetics from the movie Steel Magnolias with me. They ask if I've been in a coma. They ask if I can go into a coma instantaneously just like that. Okay, that's not true, and that was just a plot twist with a movie. And another issue that I have with Steel Magnolias is that they do a very bad job of explaining what's actually happening. I have a friend of mine who thought I was going to die or just pass out because she had seen Steel Magnolias and would often ask me questions about Steel Magnolias and the accuracy of the movie. When I finally had the conversation with her saying, look, this isn't steel magnolias, I'm not going to just peel over and die. And I explained to her what diabetes was, how it worked, and she really got it through her head that, oh, maybe steel magnolias just isn't real, which it isn't. It's a movie. I'm not going to die. No one else is going to die. Colleen's not going to pass out or anything just randomly. But the movie just doesn't explain what's going on, why she's, you know, passed out what caused her to do so. So that's my issue with it, is that it doesn't explain anything well. The next movie we're going to talk about is Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters. Now, this is another one that I haven't seen. Actually, I haven't seen any of these movies we're talking about, just clips. In this one, Hansel ends up with diabetes after eating too much candy as a kid, aka the witch's house that was made of candy. And he has to inject insulin every few hours or he dies. In the movie, they call it the sugar sickness, and he injects into his leg with a really big needle every few hours without any regard for his blood sugar, what he's eaten, how much he's exercised while hunting and killing witches with his sister, or basically anything else. 
it's just a really bad example of trying to use diabetes as a plot point or a punchline. They actually describe his diabetes in commentary about the movie as a character flaw, as if it means there's something innately wrong with him as a person, again, implying he did it to himself because he ate too much sugar as a kid. Thoughts, Jesse? Okay, so I haven't seen this movie in a very long time, but I did see it, and I do remember thinking that this was very strange, the way that they portrayed diabetes in this, because it didn't tell you that he's type 1 diabetic or, you know, he's a buff dude. Like, he's got six-pack abs and stuff in this movie, and they don't say or come out saying he's diabetic or anything. So I didn't put two and two together until hours after I saw it and started to think about what he was doing. Also, when he puts in his insulin, he does it about three times in the movie. It could be wrong, so don't at me at that. But when he does so, he doesn't eat anything. And in the movie, I think he has three meals and then doesn't put in insulin after that. So... This is just an action movie that does a very, very bad job of portraying diabetics and insulin dependency. And also, if you're looking for a guideline on what not to do, this would be the movie to watch. It also came out when you were 11, so I understand you not totally understanding right as you were in the theater. Right, and I watched this at home with my mom, too. I wasn't in the theater when I watched this. I was at home when I was watching this, I was eating popcorn, and I put an insulin for the popcorn and everything. So I, I don't know, it, I just didn't make two and two connect because it didn't even seem like he was diabetic or anything like that in the movie. So the next movie is Con Air, another one I haven't seen. And I think this is Nicolas Cage, but I can't be sure. My husband's nodding at me. Yes, it is Nicolas Cage. This is a classic example of movie makers just plain getting it wrong and not caring. In this movie, one character goes into diabetic shock, aka a severe low, and his companions fix it by giving him an injection. In reality, that would have killed him. So I have read that he, the character was given like one of those hostess snowballs, pink, I think it was a pink snowball, and that would have sent him high, which yes, he would have needed the insulin for, but the symptoms he was presenting were for a low. So again, not accurate. And another one we'll briefly mention is Panic Room. I can't remember when that, w- that one came out, but it had Kristen Stewart and Jodie Foster. And in that one, the mom and her daughter are locked inside a new panic room in their house because there's burglars trying to get into the panic room because there's money in there. And it turns out that Kristen Stewart's character is diabetic. And this one actually shows a glucometer on a watch. So it's like a smartwatch glucometer. And it shows blood sugars progressively getting lower and lower. And it turns out that the mom needs to go out of the panic room to get glucagon. And then I think at the end, she throws it into the, into the panic room and then the burglars give her daughter glucagon. So it's, I'm not exactly sure how it all unfolds, but it's still listed as one of the movies that does not really portray that accurately, despite all of the good things about it. So we're going to go into TV shows now. There's a blog called Hugging the Cactus, and they put it succinctly when it comes to diabetes on TV. A common theme among countless television shows is perpetuating the stereotype that all types of diabetes are caused by a poor diet, specifically consuming sweets. It's always an extremely cheap joke and one that's gotten stale in its overuse, end quote. So the first one we're going to mention is The Big Bang Theory in season eight. Penny convinced a table of, quote, chubsters at the Cheesecake Factory to order more dessert, and she says, quote, one of them even had an insulin pump. 
So I actually remember watching this episode and it made me so mad. (laughs) It perpetuates the idea that it's acceptable to shame diabetics for how they act or for what they eat. And it implied that diabetics have no self-control, which further implies that we did this to ourselves. Did you ever see that episode? I remember seeing it and then walking away because I didn't want to watch the rest of the episode because I did get really upset. And I just, it was hurtful. I'm not going to lie. Like, I was going through a tough time back then. Like, I was, you know, if you listen to previous episodes, you'll know. But I was going through a tough time, and it really sucked to see that because I had actually eaten cheesecake earlier that night because it was around my birthday, and I wanted to have fun. So it was hurtful. It was a little bit mean, but, you know, I got through it, and now I just realized that they're cheap jokes, and they're lame. So next TV show is Do No Harm, and I think this one was pretty short-lived. I never watched it, but I I have heard of it. It's about a neurosurgeon who had a split personality between 8.25 p.m., and 8.25 a.m. It's a really weird time to, you know, have a split personality, but okay. He blamed his inability to be on call during those hours on his diabetes. Beyond Type 1 describes the show's flaws like this. Quote, everything about the way the show handled T1D was insane, from the massive blood glucose reader that somehow delivered numbers with infrared light to the wide-ranging ignorance of medical personnel as to how the disease actually works. In the first episode, He's declared hypoglycemic with a BG of 315, and he's told he's about to go into diabetic shock if he doesn't take 20 units of insulin, end quote. Yeah, okay. First of all, (laughs) hypoglycemic means your number's low, which is below 70, and 20 units of insulin is a huge amount, even for a blood glucose of 315. So, I mean, come on. That sounds like a stupid show, even though I've never seen it. I know that sounds really, really blatant and almost cruel, but that's just, that's just wrong. That's my opinion. The next one is The Walking Dead, and I know this is really popular. My sister loves this show, but The Walking Dead had an episode where a zombie apocalypse survivor with type 1 diabetes somehow kept her insulin cool and fresh over the course of two years without refrigeration or access to supplies. And not only that, they portrayed that an injection fixes low blood sugar again. The character passed out and a shot fixed it. Passing out is a symptom of a low, not a high. Conair and The Walking Dead, they both portray that insulin fixes the symptoms of low blood sugar. And not only that, the recovery effect is immediate when in reality, it's anything but immediate. In movies and TV shows, type one diabetes is more of a dramatic plot point or something to increase the tension. Unfortunately, it's also subject to really lazy writing. It's not as dramatic to give someone a juice box or a candy bar to bring up a low or the diabetic shock than it is to need to immediately stab someone with a needle to inject insulin, which magically makes them better right away. So let's talk about why this is a problem. Only 5 to 10% of diabetics are type 1. That means that the majority of diabetics out there are type 2, which is a completely different disease. You can listen to episode 5 for more details on the differences. So when pop culture and the media portray type 1 diabetes as if it's the same as type 2, or when it's described or implied that people do it to themselves, it's just perpetuating this information. I really shouldn't be surprised that so many people don't know what type 1 is or why it's different from type 2. People who don't have family or friends with it get their information from the news, the media, and pop culture. Diabetes just isn't important to them, so whatever they pick up from those sources ends up taken at face value instead of questioned or researched to make sure they understand what diabetes actually is. And we all do this. We care about the things we're close to. So as type 1 diabetics, 
Jess and I care about type 1 diabetes and making sure people understand what it is and why it's important to know the difference. We don't care as much about diseases we're not close to. If I saw a depiction of someone with, say, cerebral palsy on the TV or in a movie, it, it just wouldn't occur to me to go research that and make sure it's portrayed correctly. I do that with diabetes because I know what it's like to live with it. It might sound like I'm kind of hammering this point home a little bit, but I just wanted to make it clear that I understand why movie makers and TV producers don't care about getting it right. They care about telling a captivating story. And if diabetes is a way to do that, even if it's inaccurate, they'll use it. Media portrayal of type 1 diabetics is a cheap shot, in my opinion, when they misportray it because they just want to make money with the least amount of effort possible to actually explain what's going on and how diabetes actually works. So I have a couple more references in the media that I want to talk about. One of them is uh, Studio C on YouTube. They released a, actually a really funny four-minute skit called Diabetes Intervention. And the main character's friends stage an intervention because they have no idea what insulin is, and they think their friend is addicted to drugs. They do a really good job of poking fun at the people who don't know anything about diabetes or about insulin. And I think the funniest part is they mispronounce insulin like four different times, and each one is, is funnier than the last. So we'll link to that one in the show notes. And then the other thing is that when we were first starting up this podcast, my mom said that she gets so mad whenever she hears an ad on the radio about, quote, reversing diabetes, because they never distinguish between type 1 and type 2. And this is, again, because up to 95% of all diabetics are type 2. So they're catering to the majority instead of being accurate in what they're saying. So I'm sorry, mom, they're probably still going to keep doing that. Jess, you want to do our diabetes spotlight? Heck yeah, I do. Is that time already? So this week we found an article about a marathon runner in the UK. He isn't just any marathon runner, though. He's actually a diabetic, and he has nothing to prove when it comes to diabetes and actually doing his dream. From the website diabetesuk.com, he talks about what it's like to run with T1D and why running works for him. His name's Ed, so shout out to him for doing his part in raising awareness and money to help cure type 1 diabetes. The website says, and I quote from what he's saying as well, I've always been active. It's a part of my diabetes control. In preparation for London, I've already done a couple of half marathons and triathlons. For me, running is what works, end quote. I just find this very cool because I am an athlete. I do run track and cross country, and I've always wanted to do a marathon. This just proves that I can go and actually do it and that people have done it before me, which makes me feel great. And then for our questions to you, our audience, our lovely followers, what is your least favorite representation of diabetes in film, and what's your favorite? All right, Colleen, what's your least favorite? Well, just based on what I've read from doing research for this episode, it's got to be Hansel and Gretel. I don't actually have a favorite because I haven't seen any of them. Based on this, I'm going to have to say my least favorite is Steel Magnolias, just because it just it just rubbed me the wrong way, I guess, when I was watching it or when I was trying to explain to my friends over and over and over again why I wouldn't die because of that movie. And then I'd have to say my favorite is a Law and Order episode where this kid has type 1 diabetes and they do a really good job of explaining what type 1 diabetes is and how it actually works. That is it for this episode of This is Type 1. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 25. That's the number 25. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode, please leave us a comment or send an email. 
You can get straight to our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade, and our audio wizard is my husband, Tim. I'm on all social media as at Inspired Forward, and our email is colleen at inspiredforward.com. You can find me on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type 1 diabetes or about the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, your family, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, since that really does help other people find us. And be sure to listen in next week when we talk about diabetes burnout. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.